0: Probably one of the most formative memories I have in my life uh, was from preschool. Anybody remember preschool? I remember very, very little. I couldn't tell you what the room looked like. I remember, though, what the bathroom looked like. And, and i tell you why, because like many, I was very anxious about going to preschool. I didn't want to go, I guess. I don't remember the fear, but I, I, my mom tells me about it, and, and I remember, like, I, you know, life is pretty good at home, right? When you're three years old and four years old, you're like, why would I leave? Mom's here, this is it. Like breakfast, lunch, dinner, always provided. Nighttime, activities, taken care of, bedtime, nap time, we're good. There's security at home and then you just kind of get kicked out to preschool. Go and live on your own for three hours, you know. And so we did that and and I remember being just like, oh, I don't want to go. So my mom gave me a a little, little tool to get me through the day if things got rough. And so I don't remember how we got here, okay. But all I know is I had gone into the bathroom and I'm standing there and I'm just sobbing. I'm crying. I don't want to go home. I don't want to do preschool. I want to stay home. I don't know. And so I'm in there and having this, this fit. And okay, okay. You got to pull it together, man. And I remembered mom gave me something for this very moment. So I reached into the little pocket of my Oshkosh Bagosh <laughs> overalls. I still have those. I wear them every day. Pulled that thing out. It was a picture my mom gave me. And I don't remember the picture completely. I know that I was in it, and I think there was a goat, or a pig, or some kind of animal, I was feeding it like straw, but the most important part of the picture was, my mom was in the picture. It was a picture of my mom, and I pulled it out. <laughs> you can do this, man, <laughs> you know. Put the picture back in the little pocket of my little Oshkosh bagosh overalls. <laughs> took a deep breath, faced the world again, and yes, that's where we're going to start our teaching this morning, with that story. We're in this teaching series right now. Where we've been having a conversation about God, and what does it look like for us to interact with God, and who is God, and why does that matter, and we're calling it three-in-one because uh, most commonly, we see God present himself to us through Scripture and through life, in, in one of three basic ways. We we typically call it God the Father, and the Son, and His Holy Spirit, and traditionally these three ways are called the Trinity. We talked some about that last week, but Jesus is about, uh, when He's talking about life and God, He he several times mentions, do this, for example, the Great Commission, as He sends the church out to go into the world and make disciples and teach them to obey all the things I've commanded them and to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So this is kind of this formula that Jesus really teaches us in how to speak about. God, and then the gospel writers, and then the, uh, the other writers of the New Testament, they talk about these different, you know, manifestations of God, these, these different parts of God, uh, and today, yesterday we talked about the Father. Today we're talking about the second person of the Trinity, the Son. There are a lot of titles that he goes by in Scripture, and we could talk a lot about those, but that's really not what today is about. Most commonly, he's called Jesus. I don't know if you noticed the theme in our song so far this morning and even after the message this morning. It's all about Jesus. And so this is the second person in the Trinity of God. And today I wanna ask two really important questions. Who is Jesus? And why does that matter? You know, I could teach about anybody. I could get up here and talk about George Washington or Martin Luther King Jr. And there's a lot of people I could talk about. Why is it that Jesus is so important to so many people? Why does it matter who is he? To get there, I wanna open up a, a chunk of scripture. It is probably the m- most dense teaching on the person of Jesus that I know of in the Bible. And you'll find it in the book of Colossians. So if you've got a Bible, will you please open it? I'm telling you, get it on your phone, open it in a hardcover book. We've got free Bibles back here by this back door. If you wanna borrow one for the service, feel free to go grab one or just keep it forever and you can have it, put your name in the front. We want people to have Bibles. But you're gonna to wanna to follow along with this because there's like a lot of little lines and this could be one of those messages where you're like, wait, where, where are we? Where are we? But if you just follow along, you'll, you'll track right with us. We're going to go from, chapter five, from Colossians chapter 1, which is in the New Testament of the Bible. Uh, feel free to use your index if you need to find it. But this is a, a writing by the Apostle Paul to the church at Colossae, and he's telling them some things about how to live their life and and follow Jesus. And we're going to get in chapter one, starting at verse 15. We're going to make our way all the way through, I think, verse 21. So that's a good chunk. And it is dense, okay? There's, I mean, line by line, I could probably do a sermon on every single sentence, maybe two sermons per sentence. I'm serious. But we're not going to do that today. But we're going to start Colossians chapter one, verse 15. And let's read this together. It says, the son, time out, Okay, we're talking about three in one, okay? And so when we get to son, we're talking about that second person in, in the Trinity is what we're talking about. So the son, and, and anytime you see j- son or he or his in this passage, think Jesus, okay? That's who we're talking about. Jesus, the son, is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, things that are visible and things that are invisible, Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Do you know what probably the most defining tenet belief of Christianity is? There's a couple big ones, okay? But maybe the most important one is this. Christians believe that God became human died for them, rose from the dead. That, that, that belief, so we're gonna start at the beginning of that phrase, we're gonna work our way through it. Christians believe that God became human. That is a huge belief of Christianity. Now scripture often calls Jesus the son of God and that can be a confusing sentence because we're gonna make this assertion this morning that Jesus is God, I have a son, he's over there. How can I be me and my son be him and we also be the same person? you're doing it wrong, okay? That's how people think. This is human biology, this is family, and surely my son Silas and myself are different people. That's not what this is saying. It's not saying that Jesus is the biological son of God. There's more teaching we could do on it, but the big picture is that like, a, a great word for this is begotten of, that God came from somewhere jesus came from somewhere he came from god he is of god he is from god don't get caught up in the language of that because it's it's more of a word picture than it is an absolute definition of who jesus is he's called the son of god he's also called the son of man that might be the most common phrase that we see him called in the new testament the son of what he calls himself the son of man but jesus is god and this phrase that paul starts with is that jesus the son is the image of the invisible god That's the first big picture that I want you to get about Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God. What does that mean? Uh, So first, this image of the invisible God thing. The the word image there is from the Greek word icon. We have an English word that sounds the exact same. It sounds like this, icon, okay? And uh, what it means is like a logo or a picture, uh, maybe an engraving. This is an image. It's a thing that you see, Uh, an impression. If you ever pick up a penny, you'll see Abraham Lincoln's face on the penny. It's an impression. It's an image of Abraham Lincoln. It's not Abraham Lincoln, but it looks an awful lot like him. And you can kind of feel like you knew old Honest Abe because you got him on your $5 bill and on your penny. We have an image of Abraham Lincoln. That's the idea of an icon. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. No one's ever seen God. But he shows up to show himself to us in a way that we can understand. But it's more than just like a snapshot, a photograph, an engraving. It's, It's a real life embodiment of God. We call it the incarnation. If you know any Latin words, it means like to come into skin, <laughs> to incarnate himself. He becomes the image of the invisible God among us so that we can have something to relate to. Go to little four-year-old Chris in the preschool you know, bathroom, and I'm, I miss my mom, I miss the presence of my mom, but an image of my mom brings me hope. Jesus' image among us is so much bigger than just a photograph of him. Even as cool as that would be, it's God's presence among us. The book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 3, says that the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things. So the writer of the book of Matthew, he's the gospel writer. The gospels are the books that tell us the story of Jesus. This is how Matthew describes the image of the invisible God. He uses the word Emmanuel. Does anybody know from Christmas songs what Emmanuel means? What? God with us. You with me? So the first thing we learn from this, this passage from Colossians is that, like, God comes to be with us. He gives us his image, something that we can tangibly relate to, something that we can see and touch and feel. In fact, that's exactly how the writer of the Gospel of John writes it. John says, these are the things we've seen and we've heard, we've touched, we've seen, we've experienced the sun is the image of the invisible God. And then it says this last part. So this is verse 15 again, but now let's, see, we could do a whole sermon on like two of them on every sentence. The sun is the image, the image of the invisible God and the firstborn over all creation. We could talk more about this, but here's the brief synopsis here. Uh, in this culture that this is being written into, being the firstborn was a big deal. Some of you might be, who's firstborn? I'm a firstborn. Anybody else? Okay, Who cares? We're Americans. They're like, yeah, it doesn't matter. If you fail in life, you're just a failure, okay? But in some cultures, if you're the firstborn, it's like, man, when dad dies, you're it. Even if you're a failure, (laughs) you're the patriarch of our family. You get the bigger share of the inheritance. You're the man. You're the woman. You're the firstborn. And so he's the firstborn, which is a very important phrase, of all creation. Jesus holds a unique place in all of creation. In the way that a firstborn son would hold in an ancient culture, and, and the way he is unique among creation is explained here in verse uh, 16, Colossians 1:16. For in him, Jesus, all things were created; things in heaven and on earth, and visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things together, hold together. In him all things hold together. So, two ideas from this, okay? Number one is this. um, When it comes to Jesus' place among creation, Jesus is indistinguishable from the creator. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, that was Jesus, he was there. When we talk about uh, Jesus saying, let us make man in our likeness and in our image, this is Jesus saying, let's make man in our likeness and our image. That's what this is saying, and that's what kind of uh, Christianity has believed. It's not that he's just like a little chunk of God that was carved off and sent down to earth. It was like, no, God says, I'm going to allow myself to go fully into human form. That's the first thing, that he was involved in creation, that he everything was made through him and for him and by him. And here's the second piece of this. It might be a little bit more meaningful for us today. This was verse 17, that he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And so let's just step aside here for a second. Let me ask you a question. What makes you tick? Like what gets you up in the morning? What motivates you? What drives you? What sustains you? For me, and don't be over spiritual about this. Don't be like, you know, the Spirit of God. No, no, like seriously, when you wake up in the morning, what makes you be like, let's go? And, and, and maybe it is the Spirit of God. I hope it is. I hope that's part of it. That's actually where we're going right now. But for me, I receive life-giving energy from spending time with my wife and my kids. I love it. I love them. Some of you, some of my best friends, I enjoy being with you. It is fantastic. Sometimes it's life-giving for me to do a project. I love being up at the camp and doing that work at the camp. Not only because I did the work, because I love that camp, so combining those two things, it was life-giving, it was sustaining, and we all need these things to keep us going. You often see when, uh, when someone loses their spouse in their old age, they often don't live much longer after that, because they're like, uh, ah, what's the point, right, but in this passage, we learn something about Jesus that's unique among all creation, that in him, all things hold together. So yes, it's great. God has given you your spouse or your best friend or your job or your projects or these things that you're working on. But you know what God has also given us? Himself. He came to earth in the form of a human man named Jesus and in him all things hold together. So food for thought, what if, if Jesus is before all things and in him all things hold together, what if we sought him for some of that drive, for some of that motivation? Guess what? My wife doesn't have the energy sometimes to put up with me, Jesus does. My kids sometimes let me down, believe it or not. Jesus will never let me down. My projects sometimes fail because I'm a knucklehead and they can't sustain me. Jesus will never fail me, he will never let me down. In him all things hold together. So that's another thing we can learn about Jesus there from Colossians. We're gonna get back to verse 18, Colossians 1 verse 18. What else do we learn? And he is the head of the body, the church. Quick time out. You ever heard the church called the body of Christ? There's old teachings in several places in the New Testament that talk about us being the hands and feet and ears and eyes and mouthpiece of God. We get to do all of these things on behalf of God, that when we love people who are considered the least of these, people who are are hurting, people who are in poverty, people who are in prison, people who are sick, uh, people who have lost loved ones, when we come and love them, it says that we have loved Jesus, that's really cool. We're loving on, on his behalf. But we are not the head of that body. Jesus is the head of the body, the church. It says he is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. He's the firstborn among the dead. Okay, we just talked about him being firstborn among creation. Cool, I get that. Before anybody else was born, Jesus was there. He was there first. He was the firstborn of all creation. Uh, Get into that. Think about that. But he's also the firstborn among the, the dead? I don't know if you've ever been to a funeral, but the dead don't get born. They are no longer, right? They have lost their life. Their birth cycle is done on this earth. Jesus being the firstborn among the dead um, taps into like the most audacious claim of Christianity. (laughs) Process this. Some of you may not know this at all. Some of you have known this for a long time and I want to make sure we process it every time. Do you know what Christians believe? We believe that there was this guy who died and by his own power raised himself from the grave never to die again that's crazy okay so people have died before and then someone was in the emergency room with those magic paddles and was like clear and then they came back to life okay they came back to life yes they lived again but not by their own power by some medical force right Jesus does miracles where he raises people from the dead people have risen from the dead they've come back alive but never and since by their own power except for Jesus that's the audacious claim of Christianity. And him being first born from among the dead was the core belief of early Christianity. And I believe it's the core belief of Christianity today, but I don't think we talk about it enough. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that if Christ has not rise from the dead, our faith is worthless. Go do your good deeds. Go love people and be generous. Who cares if Christ didn't rise from the dead? That's it. I don't know if he would go that far, but that's kind of what that sentence says. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, then your faith is futile. It is worthless. And then he goes on. It's such an important thing to the early church that Paul goes on to to list like 500 witnesses to the resurrection. He said, this guy saw it, this lady saw it, these people saw it, and then like 500 other people saw it. He wants people to know, like if you don't believe Jesus rose from the dead, go ask one of them. Guess what? All those people are gone now because only one continues to live, Jesus. And the even bigger deal about that claim is that if Christ rose from the dead, we were invited to rise with him. Romans chapter six, verses three through four says that we were therefore buried with him through baptism. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So when you see a baptism, we had one a couple weeks ago here in the pool. It's, this, it's actually the reenactment of a, a burial. They take the old self. This is who I was before. I'm turning my life back to God. They go under the water as if they're being buried with dirt. But they don't stay there. They arise, it says in Romans 6, to walk in newness of life. So not only does Jesus raise from the dead, but he invites us to have a resurrection with him. Christians call that the resurrection life. So it's at this junction, okay, where the person of Jesus, we had two questions today. Who is Jesus and why does that matter? Okay, first question, who is Jesus? This is where the person of Jesus comes into contact with the purpose of Jesus. Why does that matter? I wanna take a little side journey to get there, okay? So time out on Colossians chapter one. We're gonna go over here and we're gonna talk about this. Uh, Last week, we saw that after sin entered the world through the deception of the serpent in the garden and Adam and Eve, and they said, okay, we're just gonna disobey God here. And sin enters the world, God sets into motion a plan. What he says is, I'm going to come down, someone is gonna come down and crush the head of that serpent. He makes a promise. And then all throughout the Old Testament story, what we see is God going to great lengths to show himself to the nation of Israel and say, this is how I'm going to crush the head of that serpent. And so he shows up in many ways to teach them messages and teach them to turn their hearts back to God. And he comes through prophets and prophetesses and through kings and through big events that can't be explained any other way and through miraculous things. And over and over and over again, the nation of Israel sees God, they acknowledge God, they turn their hearts back to God, and then they go in this cycle. We talked about this last week. The cycle where then they forget about God and they turn away from God and they go into sin again. And then they get themselves into a bind. And they turn back to God and say, God, what have we done? Will you deliver us? And God delivers them and pulls them out again. And this cycle continues, this cycle continues, this cycle continues for hundreds of years and dozens of generations until something happens. This is the side journey we're on right now. You can read about it in all four of the Gospels. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, talk about, in fact, the Gospels, which is a word that means the good news, the good news of God. The Gospels are the story of what happened. The Gospel writer named Matthew says it this way, Matthew chapter one, verse three. It says, in those days... John the Baptist came. He was just a a rabbi, a teacher. He says he was preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And this was his sermon. It looks like I might have the wrong scripture up there for you. That's my bad. This is his sermon. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. The voice of one calling out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so this is a story. Uh, you can take that down. That's the wrong scripture. Um, John the Baptist shows up. For for generations, people are talking about this this kind of mysterious figure that's going to show up and help everybody. And he goes by many titles. Sometimes he goes by the title of Messiah. Isaiah calls him you know the uh, this, this, the the suffering servant, uh, and and, uh, Daniel calls him man of God, and there's other titles, and there's this this person that's prophesied that's going to come. And in Isaiah, there's this prophecy that says there's going to be someone who comes before him to prepare the way. That's John the Baptist. So John the Baptist is preaching out in the wilderness, and people are coming in droves to hear John's sermon about how God is going to deliver the world. People are listening to him. They're following him. In fact, people are getting baptized by John. They want to turn from their sin. They want to start a new life with God. They're having a good time. They're excited about this new community that's forming out here. And John is telling them, listen, I'm telling you, this is going to be huge. The kingdom of God is at hand. You need to turn from your sins, repent. You need to put your life towards God because something's going to happen. The kingdom of God is at hand. And he tells them in verse 11, he says, listen, I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one that comes after me is more powerful than I. He says, I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. This guy's gonna come and he's gonna baptize you not with water, but with fire and with the Holy Spirit. Listen to this imagery if you're a poet. He says, the winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear out his threshing floor, his wheat will go into the barn and he will burn up the chaff. Translation, John says, you think what I'm talking about is great? You ain't seen nothing yet. The one coming after me is going to bring it, and then after this, it happens. Don't miss this. The moment arrives. Verse thirteen: Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, where Jesus is where John is baptizing people. That's a river, and John tried to deter him. Jesus says, "Will you baptize me?" And John says, "Well, I baptize you. You need to baptize me." John already knew Jesus; they had met, their cousins. Jesus replied, no, you need to baptize me. He says, let it be so. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. So then John consented, and here it is. Okay, the grand moment. There's been anticipation building on this for years, generations, and the moment happens. Jesus is baptized, it says as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, Heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. We're talking about the three in one in this series. That's the whole point of why I'm going here today, okay? And in this moment in history, we get to see all three parts of God (laughs) in the same moment. Jesus is in the water getting baptized, he's beginning his, his ministry on earth to, to show people the way back to God. The Holy Spirit of God takes this form that we recognize as a bird. I wonder if it was a bird, if it's just like, what is that, it like a bird to me. He shows up in a way that we can see and then the voice of God the Father speaks from heaven and what does he say? This is my son with whom I am well pleased. And listen, I am simply not qualified or prepared or capable of trying to fully unpack that for us today. I think this is just the best way Matthew could do to write it down. But we can know this. The Father speaks from heaven. The Spirit of God shows up. And Jesus is inaugurated into his earthly ministry by saying, listen, this was my plan. You wanted to see me You wanted my help in this world. I've given you my image. Here I am. Jesus is here. Why did we take this side journey? Because I don't think you can fully appreciate 1 Corinthians chapter one, verse 19, unless you have that as a background. Okay, so let's get back to 1 Corinthians chapter one, verse 19. Listen to this. For God was pleased. You hear that? That's the same language as the baptism moment. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. And through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Guys, I hope you know the story of Jesus. Jesus. I hope that if you've come here before, you've picked up parts of it. I hope you've had the time to sit with somebody to ask all your hard questions. I've certainly had plenty of hard questions I've had to ask. I hope that if you don't know the full story of Jesus, you'll continue coming back because it's the core of what we do here at Venture Church. Yeah, we go to the camp and build walls behind campfires. Yeah, we go bowling sometimes. Yeah, we gather in a gym once a week to sing songs and hang out together, but no, the core of what we are is Jesus. Because we believe the message that God came near that he showed himself to us, that he lived a perfect life among us so that he could become the payment for our sin. That's why Jesus died. Our sin earns us separation from God, which is spiritual death. The first Corinthians chapter 15 says that death doesn't even have victory over us because what Jesus does is he goes into death, whoops its tail, and rises again. Then from that station at the right hand of God, he reaches down, and invites us to join him. That's the message of Jesus. You can get to a lot of theological debates about who Jesus is, and what exactly does the Son of God mean? That phrase, that title. Or the Son of Man mean? That phrase, that title. And it it's extremely interesting and good for you. But what you gotta know is that God came near because he loved you. Most often in Scripture, Jesus goes by a different title, actually, than the Son of God uh, then Jesus Christ. I didn't actually count them, but it's pretty obvious as you read through the, um, through the letters in the second half of the, the New Testament. And So the title that Jesus goes through the most often, anybody got a guess? Lord. Lord. Why? We're doing a lot of side journeys here today. Check this out. In, in the Old Testament times, we talked about this last week too. Uh, the, the, the nation of Israel they were so reverent of the name of God that they wouldn't say it, they wouldn't write it down. It survives to us today as the word Yahweh, the name Yahweh. Uh, I don't know if that's exactly how they would have said it or not, because they wouldn't have said it. They wouldn't have written it down. And so, you know, there's a whole lot of history behind that. But basically, the the word Yahweh. But when, when they wanted to write about God and talk about him, very often, they would use a substitute word. It was a Hebrew word, Adonai. Can you guess what Adonai means? It means Lord. So many times when you're reading in the Old Testament, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I've heard this to be said, that if you see the word God in the Old Testament, it's probably a translation of the word Adonai, Lord, because that's what they would have done to be reverent of the name of God. So anytime they speak of Lord, they're talking about God the creator, the one God. As Jesus hits the scene, we start to understand that becoming a Christian is about acknowledging him as Lord. Lord. Borrowing the very same title that for all of time people had been calling God, Adonai, Kurios, or in English, Lord. What does Lord mean? Master, the person in charge of your life. Another synonym we get a lot, another title for Jesus is King. In fact, when Jesus was talking, What he spoke about in his teachings was, this is what the kingdom of heaven should look like. What was really cool is that as the humble teacher, he was actually the king of that kingdom. And anytime someone professes faith in Jesus, what they are doing is they are saying, I am gonna make him my king. I am going to make him my Lord. Which gets us to the end of Colossians chapter one. We made it. I told you it was dense. Colossians chapter one, verse 21. This is why this matters. Because once... You were alienated from God. You were enemies of God in your mind because of your evil behavior. Our sin in our life separates us from God. He's holy, he's other. We talked about that last week. But he loves us so much, he's like, I don't wanna leave it that way. I'm not just mad at you. I'm not gonna sit up here and pout. No, I, and he sent all kinds of things down to help us reconnect with him and know him. Verse 22, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body, God in the flesh through death to present you holy in his sight. You were once alienated from God because of your sin. How did God fix that? I'm gonna put on skin and go down and defeat death so that you can know me. Verse 23, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel This is the gospel, the good news. This is the good news that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, who wrote this, am a servant. Who is Jesus and why does it matter? Who is Jesus? Jesus is God. And he came near as the very image of God so that we could understand him. He's the resurrected Lord. He's the firstborn among the dead and he invites you to join him and he gives us new life so that we can, to quote another passage, fix our eyes on Jesus who is the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the Father. That we too could be part of that story. That's who Jesus is. Why does it matter? Because in him all things hold together. And without him, all things fall apart. And you can be in a lot of different places in your life right now. But my challenge for you this morning is, is pretty simple. This is my challenge. Make Jesus your Lord. We can't just come play church. It's gotta change us. It's got to transform you from the person you were when you were alienated from God to the person you can be because you've been reconciled to God through his death. It's got to change you. If you're still like, well, you know how I can be sometimes. You're not changing. You're not embracing the one who holds you together. We have seriously big problems in our life. Family is hard. Finances are hard. Economy and politics are hard. Just ask the good people of the Ukraine right now. The world is a hard place to live. And you can fight tooth and claw to climb up that hill and take the hill yourself as king. But guess what? You're going to get kicked off by the next bigger, badder dude or lady. But only Jesus can stand in all that and defeat your sin and all of death and reunite us with God in his presence so make Jesus your Lord. I love what Colossians chapter three, verse one says. It says, since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. It should change us. And so what do we do? Um, I, I want to talk to two, two people in this room, okay? And, and you can probably put yourself in one of these categories. The first one is this. You've been doing church for a while. Six days, six weeks, six years, I don't know, however long is a while for you. 60 years. There's a book that came out several years ago called not a fan and I won't get into it But but the the principle is pretty interesting. The idea is that sometimes we think we're followers of Jesus But the reality is we're just we're just big fans. You guys know I I joke around in football season I'm a big Dallas Cowboy fan. Yay boo whatever. It's not the point People treat their faith like that. What team are you on? Oh, I'm on team Jesus. Yeah, I got a t-shirt Yeah, sticker on my car Listen to that Christian radio station, love me some K love, positive, encouraging, right? But it hasn't changed you and it's not shining light into other people's life. You're just like a decent person. Well, guess what? People who don't know Jesus are decent people. There's a lot of really good people who don't believe in God at all, okay? He's not asking to be your mascot. He doesn't want you just to be a fan. He wants to be your Lord. I'm calling you out. If you have claimed that you are a Christian, be about it. Make him Lord. It should affect how you talk to your kids and your wife and your husband, how you do your job, your integrity. You should look at everything that you have as a gift from God to be used for the service of his kingdom. You should be doing everything you can to stand in a gap for people who don't know his love. And every day when you wake up, knowing that you've got failure in your life, you rely on his grace and you say, thank you, help me to love better today than I did yesterday. That's one group of people. The other group of people is, maybe you haven't made that decision. I can't call you out. I can't expect you to do something you haven't committed to. But I want to invite you to it. So cool. Oh, man. I don't know how people get through life without Jesus. I really don't. And there's some really good faith you can have. You can have faith in Your great job and your 501, your 401k, and your Roth and and your parentage and you can have faith in all kinds of things. That's great. And for the most part, like if you're able to eat and be comfortable at night, then you might think you're fine. But none of that's gonna do anything for your soul. But God loves you. He's not just an old grandpa stick in the mud who wants you to be miserable once you turn to him. No, like the joy of the Lord is a real thing. In fact, we can find joy and hope even in bad times. Even when the earth is falling around us, we can go, okay, in him all things hold together. And if you've never made that decision, I'd invite you to do it this morning. Or maybe you're like, I'm not sure. I kind of like, I did church for a while, but I've never really made a strong decision. Can I invite you, when we have a moment to pray here in a second, uh, we'll have some of our elders and some of our other leaders just meet at the back of that back communion table back there. Will Will you please go back there and tell them that? Let them pray with you. We talked about baptism today. Do you know that in baptism, you join Jesus in that death so you put your old self down so you can raise the walk in newness of life? We could baptize you today. We can set that up so you can be- begin that new walk. It's not just getting wet. First Peter calls it a pledge of a clean conscience towards God. It is a big step in your life, like standing at the altar and getting married to your spouse, going before God saying, I'm in. If you've never been baptized, I'd love to invite you to join us in that. Through him, all things were made. And for him and in him, all things hold together. And when life gets hard, you can reach into that little pocket in the front of your osh gosh, gosh Bagash. And you can pull out that image of your Lord. The things you know about him from scripture, the things you see in other people's life. And what I love, and we're gonna talk about this next week, is that he's given, some, he's given us something even better than just him who was here 2,000 years ago. He gives us his Holy Spirit to help us through the hard times and to guide us and to teach us. And that's what we're talking about next week. Let's pray.